Hi, I'm Austin, host of Beyond Our Bubble. Nowadays, a lot of people are discussing political bubbles, where people only hear repetitions and variations of their own political views. So I figured, hey, I happen to have friends across the country on either side of the aisle. Why don't I just interview them so I can hear their perspective without interrupting or arguing? So that's what I did. I interviewed people from my world, just people you'd meet around town, and hear their views in Beyond Our Bubble. Hi, I'm Austin, and I'm host of Beyond the Bubble. And I'm Kyle. All right, Kyle. Uh, well, first off, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's been a busy week for me, but I'm excited to talk to you and all your listeners. And excited Great. to hopefully swap some ideas. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Uh, Kyle, before we get started into like the whole meat of the podcast, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, so I grew up in Iowa on a family farm, so I would have been... If I would have chosen to follow into agriculture, like my two brothers did, I would have been a third-generational farmer. Uh, however, I went to college and decided, you know what, ag business wasn't for me, and so I majored in psychology and management, and then took a job down in Kansas City working for a health IT company as a supply chain representative. Gotcha. So you're out in Kansas City now? Yep, I've been living here for just shy of two years. How do you like Kansas City so far? I really like it. It's different than I imagined. It's obviously the biggest city that I've ever personally lived in. <laughs> <laughs> so, which isn't saying much coming from a town of 6,000 people. 6,000? Man, it's tiny. Yeah, yeah, it was. it's definitely different. When I talk to my friends here at work who grew up on the East Coast or... In Kansas City, I'm usually the person from the smallest town. So Right, I believe it. Well, okay, here's a question. I know people from the coast who, like, don't know where different states are, and, like, some of those states in the middle, in the Midwest, kind of get them confused. What What's the difference? How do people differentiate between the two? Uh, well, there probably isn't a whole lot of difference to the people in on the coast between Iowa and Kansas or... Specifically, I live on the Missouri side of Kansas City. Kansas City, the majority of people who say they live in Kansas City actually live on the Missouri side. But I mean, I usually describe where I grew up or live to people who ask me where it's at. If you were to put the United States on a dartboard, Iowa would be right in the center. Missouri and Kansas would be just below that. Do you run into a lot of people who don't know where they are? A decent amount, yeah. I mean, uh, kind of surprises me every time, but I have a hard time. All the states on the East Coast, especially when you get in the Northeast, are all tiny, so I have issues keeping sure. track of where those are at, too. So I guess you're not a farmer, but your parents are, are farmers. What do you do when the f- farming's all done? Um, I mean, I guess growing up in the house I grew up in, farming or farm work was never truly done so i mean that right there would have been i mean if you asked my dad when does the farming season end he'd look at you really confused and probably <laughs> say never <laughs> really wait what do you do in in okay this is a dumb question but like is there really that much to do in winter after after harvesting so winter is definitely the slow season uh but i remember i mean growing up 
so my dad was kind of what you'd call the operations manager. So he was in charge of working with the seed companies and coordinating when they were going to go out in the field and what they were going to do for the day. And then my mom worked kind of as the almost the bookkeeper or like a CFO where she was oh, in charge gotcha. of the budget and uh, salaries and making sure people got paid and our uh, landowners that we rented from. So we would we owned some land and then we cash rented is what it's called. Uh, so someone else would own land and we'd farm it for them. And so they'd make sure, my mom would make sure that they were happy and either aware of how much grain had been grown on their land that was technically theirs or making sure that we were able to pay them. So a lot of times during the winter, it was a lot of bookkeeping and comparing how the this one uh, breed of seed did compared to this one and future planning, coordinating with, okay, here's what we're going to try to grow this year. And uh, any, if gotcha. anything broke down right at the end, there was some mechanic work. So, What'd you all grow? Uh, so I grew up on a strictly grain uh, farm, which meant I didn't have any cattle or livestock. Uh, we used to have sheep, but that was just for 4-H or FFA purposes. Uh, but in Iowa, the majority of stuff that's grown is either seed corn or soybeans. Mm-hmm. Seed corn meaning for cattle to eat or other livestock? Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So that's not a good transition at all, but we're going to transition anyways into politics. Uh, Kyle, how did you start getting politically involved? Um. Involved in politic, politics? Maybe interested in politics. Let's say interested, because involved infers a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd say just kind of, I mean, Iowa, like you said, is typically a heavy focus during the primaries. Uh, and so growing up, I'd always hear about, oh, this presidential candidate and this presidential candidate are coming through town or are going to be speaking at the colleges in Iowa. I mean, did you ever go to see him? I watched uh so while I was in college, President Obama came and spoke and so I didn't get a ticket, but I did watch from across the street for a little bit over my lunch break in between classes. Oh, that's kind of funny. Could you see him? Uh a brief glimpse, yeah. Okay, interesting. Hey, that's kind of fun. It was a packed crowd, so it was kind of cool. It was a fun environment. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there would be a lot of energy on the college campus whenever a political figure comes to town. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of cool just because, I mean, you knew not everyone there had voted for him or maybe agreed with all of his policies or anything like that, but it's still the president of the United States, and so it was just kind of cool having someone of that high of office at what we would consider – our little college in Ames, Iowa. Yeah. So, Kyle, what do you want to talk about on the show today? Uh, I would like to talk to you about the estate tax, commonly referred to as the death tax. Wow, taxes. Okay. This is this is going to be fun. We're going to make this fun. Um, well, let's see. Where do we start? Um, I guess the estate tax. Can you like give us a rundown of what the estate tax is? Because um, it's like 
Yeah, yeah. Give us a, a background on it. Yeah. So first off, I'm not a tax attorney or a anyone who has any opinion in what goes into the actual tax law. So I'm not going to break it down 100% down to the minutia. But mm-hmm. essentially, what it is is at the federal level, any estate or after a person dies what they leave behind if they owned more than five and a half million dollars that gets taxed at 40 percent per person wait 40 percent that's a lot so let's say they just get leave a wad of cash like uh an individual dies and leaves a lot of cash like scrooge mcduck scrooge mcduck doesn't he like swim in money let's just say this guy has a vault full of gold coins and he's leaving these gold coins to his kids um so they get four and a half million dollars straight up, and then after that, it's taxed at forty percent. Uh, five and a half. Five and a half million dollars, and then anything after that, per individual person, is taxed at forty percent. Gotcha. So just gotcha. for like simple math, if you're leaving behind fifteen and a half million dollars, your heir would get five and a half million of it, and then the government would take. Four million, and you get left with the rest. Just for wow. simple math. What's, what's the and that is all. That's all been taxed before. So I mean, that would have already before? been taxed as income, or, oh, uh, or so if it would have been not. paid as a salary, or if it'd been like investment income, it would have been taxed as earned income. So it wasn't just sitting around not being taxed at all. Right, this is, right. Would typically be like the second or third time that that dollar had been taxed at. Gotcha. So, what's the purpose of it? Why do we tax somebody's estate? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> um, the general idea of it was to make sure that one or two families didn't start hoarding all the possessions and just passing it down in a linear motion so it's kind of the idea of taking from the people who have a lot and then giving it to the government and hoping the government uses it wisely to get it down from there okay interesting okay kyle here's the deal taxes sometimes are super boring why of all the different like controversial topics in the u.s today why the estate tax why is that what you really wanted to talk about on the show Uh, That's a great question. Um, I guess I look at the estate tax in a very different manner just because of where I grew up. Uh, So the farmland in the county that I grew up in, Story County, Iowa, uh, is valued at just under $10,000 an acre, and that's the average. The highest known farm sale in that county sold... I think it was like 100 acres for a price at $17,000 an acre. That adds up pretty quickly. Um, And so when I hear a farmer who, let's say they own, oh, let's just make it easy, 1,000 acres. If they own 1,000 acres and their value of their farmland is right around $9,000 an acre, uh, that's almost $9 million, if I'm doing my math correctly, which places them above that threshold. Wow. 
So then that means so that their property gets taxed when they pass it down to their kids. Correct. And since it's not a pile of Scrooge McDuck gold coins sitting in a pool, it's tied up in a piece of land that's not quite as liquid as, let's say, a $10 million bank account. Gotcha. So what do they do? They, they sell the land sort of thing to pay off? Or yeah, how does the government receive the money? Because they can't really liquidate that very quickly. So typically what happens is the estate is in charge of paying the tax before it goes to the heir. And so they would have to either, essentially they have to liquidate their assets. If there isn't enough cash to pay off the taxes, they would have to liquidate uh, some of that estate, which would mean selling off the land that that person was supposed to inherit. Wow. So does this impact you at all? Um, It doesn't impact me uh, personally. If you would have asked me probably about six years ago, I probably would have naively said yes, it did, just because I grew up on one of the larger farms in the area. Uh, but since I have two brothers and I got married last year and my older brother has a wife as well, the odds are that just one of us is going to inherit the estate. Uh, I'm assuming is unlikely. I could be very unpleasantly surprised. But gotcha. uh, the fact that it's going to be split up amongst a number of people will probably devalue it uh, enough that it doesn't directly impact us. But it's something common in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Correct. And it's one of those things where if, and I'm just speaking from my own personal experience, most of the farmers don't look at their land as a number attached to a piece of dirt. They look at it as that is the Smith or the Jones place that I've been farming since 1987 and I barely kept it through the farm crisis in the 80s or that's the place that always floods in the northwest corner. Like it's a very sentimental attachment to the land as opposed to uh, a stockbroker or an investment banker in New York who's liquidating his assets and buying new stock and shorting stock every other day. That's a very calculated business approach to their investments, whereas on the farm side, it's a very personal heart-feeling connection to the land, if that makes sense. Wow. Yeah, I can see a very different... um yeah, kind of categories between, you know, a stockbroker who has all their money and, well, I guess either stocks or, or bonds or investment portfolios or, or cash in, like, bank accounts as opposed to somebody who has it in land. It just sounds completely different. So what's your opinion of the estate tax? Do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, I understand how taxes work, and I think a lot of people believe the rich should be taxed more but I want to know what you think about it, especially with this idea that, you know, farmers aren't perceived as somebody who's super wealthy all the time. They just have a lot of land that's worth a whole lot that they use for their livelihoods. Yeah, I think if you would have asked me that question four, even two years ago, I probably would have said, oh, I think it needs to be completely abolished. It is hurting people. You're taxing the people who have been working really hard to 
And I mean, looking at it specifically from a farm background perspective, my attitude is the investment banker in New York is going to have a high price uh, tax attorney working for him, helping him shield all of his money. And so he's going to hide it from the government anyways. And so you're not going to get it from him, but you are going to get it from Joe Schmo, who's been farming his entire adult life and just passes that benchmark. And then he can't leave anything for his kids after he passes. Right. Because the five and a half million isn't enough to really cover the cost of the farmland. Mm-hmm. They would have had to liquidate some of it. And yeah, maybe they, they're able to save most of it. But I know if I found out that, knock on wood right here, but if my entire family passed away and someone said, oh, you can't keep all of your father's land, you have to sell some of it. I'm not looking at that land as the same. I'm not seeing dollar signs. I'm saying, oh, there's where I learned how to drive a tractor. Or there was the summer that I spent picking rocks and a gator with my dad and older brother. Uh, and it's got a very personal attachment to each area. And that's kind of the attitude of the Midwest farmer, I'll call it. Gotcha. So you're... Opposed to the estate tax? Not entirely anymore. Really? Okay, well, what what changed? Um, Believe it or not, looking into the issue. (laughs) It's weird (laughs) how researching and trying to fact-check your own beliefs can occasionally help out and make you a... give you a better, fully-rounded perspective. No, I think it has merit. So I think there's definitely something to be said for making sure that a handful of people don't just start hoarding something and then uh, just kind of keeping it in the family and just keep collecting everything and not have any way of getting at it necessarily. Um, There are also, uh, I couldn't find the exact name of it uh, when I went back to try to write it down, but there are different tax exemption policies that a farmer can apply for uh, that can actually boost that tax exemption on the estate rule up to about six and a half million dollars. So it can bump it up enough. Uh, But the issue is with education and making sure the farmer is aware of that while they're going through and preparing their estate to be passed on through the generations. And I'd like to consider the fact that I have a very forward-thinking dad uh, when it comes to the farming community. He's been very proactive about uh, making sure he is caring for the land and using different crop rotation programs to make sure he's not abusing the land or overspraying or anything like that. And I'd personally never heard about it until I was uh, researching for this interview. You've never heard about the the exemptions? Correct. So that means like your dad never mentioned them to you, even though he's a pretty forward-thinking farmer. Correct. My dad, my grandpa, my older brother, any of the other farmers that I've heard talking about it over coffee. Uh, never mentioned. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the big issues, I think, is that 
when people hear about the estate tax, they only assume it's impacting the 1% in New York that is sitting in their Fifth Avenue mansions or the Los Angeles County, Beverly Hills, right. Elon Musk types where, mm-hmm. oh, they've just got billions and millions of dollars lying around. Uh, and no one thinks about the farmer who just purchased a thousand acres and that investment is a lot of money and it just hits that mark, but he doesn't have access to a, an attorney or even if he has access, doesn't think he needs that education or those uh, safeguards put in place. Yeah. So do you think a lot of people miss this exemption, just kind of deal with it more or less? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's going to be a big issue in the coming future. Just agriculture as a whole is a uh, it has a very high uh, median age. In a Fortune magazine article, it said that one third of uh, published in 2015. So this would be about a year and a half old. Okay. Uh, one-third of all farmers in the U.S. are 65 years or older, and another third would be between the ages of 55 and 65. No and way. So you're looking at two-thirds of the farmer are above the age of 55. And so I think that's going to be an issue coming up here in the future, in the relatively near future, as you look at that population growing to the point where they are passing away and giving their lands to their grandkids or their sons or daughters uh, that we haven't seen in a while at this extent. Right, right. So this will definitely have very real impact in a somewhat near future. Well, yeah, it's been great chatting with you, Kyle. And again, this is uh, you've changed what could be a pretty boring topic in taxes into something that really has a lot of cadence uh, and applicability to a lot of our listeners, I feel like. So Yeah, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hopefully I was an enjoyable guest and uh, hopefully changed some minds. Sounds good. Yeah, thanks so much. You were great. Thanks for listening to Beyond Our Bubble. If you liked what you heard today, feel free to rate and review us on iTunes. If you or someone you know want to be on the podcast, or if you have thoughts on the show, email us at beyondthebubblepodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Bubble Podcast. And just as a reminder to everyone, we try to fact check every episode after it's recorded, and then we list articles relating to the episode in our show notes online. To find our Facebook page, just search at Beyond Our Bubble. Thanks so much for listening.